Now on the tee, it's Maddie and the Caddy. Here's Matt Barry and Michael Collins. Ah, it is time for your Tuesday tee box dysfunction. Alongside the Caddy, Michael Collins. I am the Maddie Matt Barry. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, and downloading Maddie and the Caddy, the podcast. Hit us up on social media at Maddie and Caddy, M A T T Y. The word and C A D D I E. That is both Instagram and Twitter. Our guest today, Mark Teixeira, uh, one of the great hitters in baseball over the last decade or so, uh, an all-star, a, a, a world champion, a colleague of ours here at ESPN. Uh, excited to talk golf with Mark Teixeira. Avid golfer, good handicap, great stories coming from Tex in just a minute. Uh, plus, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson have made a decision on patrons for their event. We'll get into that. But, Caddy, I want to start here. All right. I was doing radio this week, uh, last actually last week now, uh, here at ESPN, and we got into a conversation about somehow Tiger Woods and his impact on the sport. But I was I was hosting, co-hosting, and the people that I was hosting with knew that with me, it's college football and golf. There really isn't anything else. Those are my two passions. Uh-huh. And they made a point that I wanted to argue, and then I started arguing it, and I agreed with them. They made the claim, my co-host, Clinton Yates and Al Duncan, who I was doing radio with, they said that you will never meet anyone who is a fan of watching golf or the sport of golf that doesn't play golf. Not true. See, I thought so too. But that then is I not true at all. Started- Actually, my uncle's next door neighbor does not play a lick of golf. Doesn't have cl- He doesn't even have a golf ball. Nothing. Loves watching it on television. Absolutely. And follows it feverishly. And now here's another example. Hello, FanDuel. Hello, DraftKings. Think about all the people that follow golf, that gamble on golf, never picked up a club in yeah, their life. I, okay, see, that's where I started to go with it because I had a couple of people hit me up on Twitter and say, no, I'm with you. I'm a, I'm a golf fan. I don't play. But I would say that and I wanted to disagree with him and argue so badly just because I like to do that. <laughs> but I couldn't because they were right in that I would say, and I don't have any statistical basis behind this opinion, so I'm just going to throw it out there haphazardly. I'd say 90% of people who are into the sport play the sport. And it's the only one of the pro sports that you can – I mean, you can play pickup hoops in the YMCA. But for the most part, Michael – People who love golf and who follow the sport, I would say the overwhelming number plays the sport. Yes, but that's a ridiculous argument. You know why? Because how many 50-year-old men are going to go, hey, call 10 of your friends, and I'm going to call 10 of my friends, and we're going to go play tackle football. Get your equipment. (laughs) Right? Or, hey, go get eight of your friends, and I'm going to get eight of my friends, and we're going to go play fast-pitch baseball. So it's a ridiculous argument because golf is the only sport where you can actually do that other than maybe tennis, but even tennis isn't one of the four major sports. So, But therein lies the problem with the sport, and I think we stumbled onto something with the popularity of golf in that you just said it. 50-year-old dudes aren't going to go play pickup football. Right. But they're gonna go to the, watch it. They're gonna go to the country club and play golf. But that's the thing. I think golf has put itself into a corner of Why? Because you play? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, but if you play, you watch. 
But that number isn't big, and that's the point. Is golf- yeah, but that doesn't wait. That doesn't mean it's not. Hold on. Just just because you play or don't play doesn't determine whether or not you do or don't watch. That's the thing. Maybe if you play golf, you watch a lot more than what you would. But think about this. Think about the difference between the numbers of people that watched the PGA Championship when Tiger was in contention compared to the people that watched the CMIB this past week. All right, you just walked into what I was going to say. And you walked into it, and I think the patrons listening are going to understand this. Tiger is the transcendent figure that is everything but golf. Except for the Masters. Okay. Yes, except for the Masters. No, the numbers aren't good when Tiger's not in it or competing. It's well, just not. The numbers and for the Masters are good. They are amazing when Tiger's in it and contending. And that's the problem with the sport with the eyeballs is that you get your hardcore audience, which I believe the majority of the hardcore audience plays the sport, but you're not getting, you're just not getting the casual fan if Tiger's not around. You're just not. Okay. Well, let me ask you this then. What do you think the world series numbers would be like if it was Kansas city against St. Louis? Big. No, it's the world compared to the Yankees against the Dodgers. You didn't give me a comparison. I see it's the well, world that's what series. I'm saying. This, People this, watch the world. What series. I'm saying is like, it was awesome that the Houston Astros won the world series, but how many, how many people outside of Texas were like, yeah, man, Houston Astros, yo, turn the TV on. They played the Dodgers, which is the second largest, largest media market in the country. So they got so the LA I'm, number. But what I'm saying is if they weren't playing the Dodgers, Let's say I'll even throw my own team. If they were playing the Phillies and this Astros Phillies in the World Series, how do, what do those numbers look? You They're think anybody be, from Canada will turn them on? Again, it's it's the World Series. People are going to watch. I don't. The Diamondbacks haven't been relevant in baseball since two thousand one or two thousand two. Okay, but and I still I'm, watch the World Series. But what I'm comparing that to though is the World Series Dodgers Yankees versus the World Series Astros Phillies. Yeah. Or Astros Mets. Way like, to go out on a limb and give me an all-time great <laughs> pairing in the Yankees and Dodgers. Well, okay, so Yankees and anybody. So if the Yankees and the Dodgers are that sports Tiger Woods, then in the NFC it would be Packers. Let's say we get a Super Bowl of Packers and New England Patriots. Again, all-time matchup, and that's a Correct. bad example. That's but, what I, but what I'm saying people is— People watch the Super Bowl when it's anything. <clears throat> That's the Super Bowl, yes. The, the Super Bowl is – that's another worldwide thing. People who don't follow football will watch the Super Bowl. But people who don't po- follow golf watch the Masters. I disagree. I think they I, – I, I don't think – again, I'm on your side. I want this argument to be wrong, but the more that I thought about it, I started thinking, yeah, you know what? Like, I don't have any buddies. Like, buddies of mine that – Actually, there's one. I can think of one here at ESPN that I work with who's a producer on our show that watches golf but doesn't play. I, but it's I always know. it's always one and few and far between. It's not it's not all of these it's not a mass audience like other people you deal with in different sports. I don't know if I could get to my second foot, but I could probably count all my fingers and at least one set of toes. Of people who don't play golf but watch golf, I I think so. But I and I also think that number is growing, just a little bit as well. I think 
I think actually the controversy of the Ryder Cup helped a little bit because it gave – you know what the problem for our sport is? The problem for our sport isn't what you were saying is that it's limited to the people that play it and they're the core audience. The problem with the sport on our end in America is the PGA Tour only wants sunshine and rainbows out there. What do you mean? So, like sunshine weather? and rainbows. So it's you never hear – you never – other than because of the Tiger Woods video and because it was Tiger Woods with the DUI and the dash cam, like, when was the last time you heard of another golfer getting a DUI? Oh, so you want – you're saying you're saying the problem they have is they, they're they too <laughs> country They're club. so image conscious that they don't put out their fines. They don't put out their suspension. So you want a villain? <laughs> Not necessarily a, vin- a villain, but – a, a real human being makes real human being mistakes. I would say so the last one is John Daly, right? And John Daly to this day is still one of the biggest draws out on the PGA Tour. Speaking That's a of problem. John Daly, we got to find the Lost Podcast with Daly. I know, man. That Daly interview was fantastic. Oh, but you're that was right. So much fun. Like if they like, had someone that dog put his booty in my face and crop dusted your nose. Uh, we got to find the, the lost podcast, but but you you make a valid point because if you look at I think Daly was one of those guys, and even Tiger. Remember Tiger pre fire hydrant? It was right. pristine image, family man, greatest player to ever pick up a golf club. Mm. Then there was the rubbernecking with Tiger's personal life in phase two. Then there was the comeback phase three, and then there's now Tiger phase four. But I would argue. He's different from John Daly because Daly showed up out of a bus with a mullet and a cigarette in his mouth every time he played. And a can of beer. <laughs> right. And that's where I think. And was and was completely honest to a fault about having human faults. But we don't have like, that anymore. Well, nah, of course not. But that was, I think Tiger went through the Tiger the Intimidator, greatest of all time. Can't even talk to him. Can't touch him. He ain't never going to see him standing after a round signing autographs. Smiling, laughing, having a good time to this guy now who's a dad, kind of a fathery figure, uncle. Well, not fathery. I'll say an uncle figure to guys like Jordan and Justin. I mean, he is a father figure. He's got two kids. Ricky, yeah, they're not their age. <laughs> they couldn't. Imagine how old he'd feel then. <laughs> and Tiger, brah, the hair. Come on, man. It's time. You think it? Do you, so do you think if you I should... catch him? Let me tell you something. If I would have caught him, if he would have nodded off long enough at the Ryder Cup, <laughs> I would have ran up there with the Clippers and just fired him off. <laughs> Gone. You know what? It is he time. Have fell asleep. Like he's got to let that go. Yes. Here's what we need to do. Because anytime he puts product, it gets even thinner. He like, uses come on, product. Man. You're putting moose on two hairs. <laughs> do people still yes. use moose? I think so. No, or they don't. It, is it gel? If someone with an impeccable know. head of hair, I don't use mousse or gel. You use There is no way that you get the front of your head to stand like that <laughs> by itself. Like I didn't stop say- lying. Stop lying. I, I didn't say I didn't use stuff. I don't use mousse or gel. Well, what is it? It's paste. You use paste? <laughs> like toothpaste? What do you put? Colgate in your head? Oh, hair paste. You use hair paste. It's like a it's a Come hair on, paste. man. Brill cream. That's Brill cream from back then. My grandfather used to put that in his head. Come on, man. Yeah, I mean, you got to use it. Curl juice, some soul glow. It's a good, it's a good paste that you like, you know, you rub in your hands and you just, you paste it up. It only takes a couple seconds. You wave it in there and boom, done. 
That was the whole sleepy look. You didn't have to do nothing. You just wake up, put the stuff in your Yo, hair. Yo, bedhead. Yeah, you do that on purpose. That was like a gel. That's what, I mean, back in the day, that was, it was gel that used to do that. Here's what we need to do. I think we can solve golf's problem uh, with overall popularity outside of you Tiger Woods. You gotta win that argument. Clinton Yates is my homie, too. Like, come on, dude. You can't let him win that argument. I know. I tried, and then I was like, you know what? You're right. Um, I think yeah, that we I should. I can't believe you never say that. I know. Actually, I, I'll admit so when I'm wrong. So disappointed in you, dude. I know. The one How are you time... not going to call me? Like, I, I, I know. I do radio. What's up? I ain't scared. I'm trying Should've to think. What were, you back do- up. what were you doing on Friday? I don't remember what you were doing. Who knows with you? Oh, I was in L.A. See, there you go. Yeah. I think you were busy. Yeah. Um. So here's what I think we could do to solve golf's popularity problem outside of Tiger Woods. Overall mass appeal. We need to go find a kid that was like a, a world-class high school player, okay, that decided to go to college and eat pizza and drink and just be a drunk. We need to find a way to get him on tour so we could have a couple of tire fires on tour that everybody can relate to. I got to get Beef to stop working out. That's what it is. We get Andrew Beef Johnson and then my boy Appy Barnrat. Get no, but we, need dude, but we need dudes. But we need dudes that are just gonna... go drinking with them. Yeah, two like, bad nights out there. End up, end up on like TMZ or something. That's what we need. We need like three or four golfers to end up on TMZ. What are the rules about drinking during a PGA round? It's not allowed. You, why? They get fined if they get caught smoking on TV nowadays. Really? So they couldn't show up. Like we couldn't have the cameras. Nah, on, you couldn't on pull these... out one of those little sifters, the little, what are they call Snifters, sifters, what are them little things called? You know, guys will pull out that you saw all the time in the... A flask? Yeah, flask. Give me one of them things. <laughs> pull out that little, it tells you I don't drink. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not old school. I ain't put no bourbon in a flask. It wasn't flask. Yeah, I ain't put no bourbon in a flask. Just rip that thing. I don't wear suits, so I don't have a pocket, like, inside. You don't wear suits, do you? <clears throat> nah, if, unless I'm going to court. <laughs> hypothetically speaking, I would say, put a jacket look, on. Hypothetically I had a jacket speaking, on Friday. yeah. Say you were taking meetings while you were in L.A. Like yeah. what? What you, you you should dress professional for those? No, I had shorts on. What? Yeah, man. I went with the. You know what? I did my shout out to Steph Curry. I had on an outfit mullet, which was because that's me. It was a a dressy shirt. Actually, you know what? Mizzen and Maine. Hey. I love Mizzen and Maine. Mizzen and Maine's great. Rocking the Phil Mickelson yeah. shirt. Those, shirt. those dress shirts are awesome. I rocked the Phil shirt with a Arnold Palmer tie, pink one with the white thing, but then I had the William Murray jacket on. And shorts. Cool. Yeah, and shorts, bro. William Murray shirt. William Murray shorts. What did these people that with you may Adidas, or may not have... I was rocking... I was, or it might have been Nikes. I think I had my Nikes on. All right, so... How did these people that you may or may not have met with, how did they take to the outfit? Awesome. Thought it was great. Because you know what? I'm never going to – I'm. the last thing you want to do is present something to people that you're not. Not authentic. Yeah. You don't want people to go, well, we want that guy. If that's not you, if that's not who you are, like, you know what I mean? You're not going to show up. I'm not saying like – I'm not saying it's like a first date where you would be on your best behavior. Like you won't even burp in front of nobody, you know, but you also like don't want to be, I'm not going to bust out an outfit that I only have one outfit of, right? Cause you're not going to wear that same outfit to work every day 
That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but aren't... Wear what you normally would wear. But I, you would think meetings, interviews, et cetera, are like first dates, where by and large it's one big show and kind of a lie. Nah, but see, then, does that ever work out? No, nah, it doesn't. It never right. works out. And that's what I mean. Like, if you're going to sit and talk to somebody about doing some things and, you know, that it's better to go, hey, look, here's who I am. And this is why I like you. You like me. This is good. This is who I'm going to be. So it's like I don't want a year or two years to be like, well, we weren't expecting. What do you mean you weren't expecting? So is that how you were on your first date with Mrs. Caddy? Like, here's who I am? Yeah, big time. Really? Yeah. She On our first date, she was like, I already know you got some other chicks on the side. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking? And I tried to play it off. With, Come on. What do you mean? Just you- and you know what she said? So Mrs. Caddy goes, when we first started dating, her rule was <laughs> you can do whatever you want to do outside of three and a half hours of driving radius. Really? So anything that happened, she was like, the three and a half hours, that's my porch. <laughs> I'm the big dog. This is my porch. Well, three but and a half hours driving or flying? Outside, well, see, I was like driving, right? Cause I was like three and a half hours flying. That knocks a lot of ballpark out. <laughs> right. That's, you know what that's most of like, the country. Yeah. I'm like, bro, I don't think I could get to Aruba and back in time. Like, <laughs> I don't think, like, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to go up to Idaho or something like that. You, I don't think Miss America ever came from there. <laughs> potato girls up there. I don't, nothing Healthy. wrong with that. I'm yeah. just saying, yeah, I'm going go up there. Get some food, food. <laughs> so that's what, that, and I laughed when she first said it and was like, yeah, okay. Like that's your way you think you're going to win by doing something like that. You know, still trying to play it off. Nah, man, what you worried about? No girls on the side. What? Nah. So what's the rule now? That rule is gone, so, I'm uh, assuming. Now it's six hours in the air. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's, now it's transatlantic flight, and if you're That's that saying, if you're like, that desperate to go out, then you know what, have at yeah, it. Like, Fly you know to Australia what? if you're willing to jump on a plane six and a half hours for that. Go on with yourself, man. <laughs> go on. I'm probably there's nothing there's nothing six and a half hours away. Like you know, if you're willing to do that, go do what you got to do. <laughs> It must be something that <laughs> I can't get in the house. What? Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, I'm too, I'm too old and too tired. Too old and too tired. Let's, I'm let's. I'm just too tired. Yeah. I like sleeping on planes. I'm not going. <laughs> let's save this, this base on balls with our colleague, Mark Teixeira. <laughs> As promised, three time all star, a world champion, five time gold glove winner, and avid golfer, Mark Teixeira, joining us now on Maddie and the Caddy. Uh, Tex, first question we always ask anybody who got into the game of golf but did not do it for their vocation, when did you and how did you get the golf bug? So I started playing golf when I was 13. My dad was not a, a golfer growing up. He was kind of a baseball player, but every now and then he'd, he'd dust off an old set of clubs and we'd go to the, uh, the, the municipal course in Crownsville, Maryland. I grew up in Smyrna Park, Maryland, so... We go to Eisenhower Golf Club on like a late Sunday afternoon and you know pay like 15 bucks each and play as many holes we could before it got dark and um I loved it from the very beginning first time I swung a club I enjoyed it and you know have been uh, have been trying to play ever since. So you started when you were 13 years old but back okay I'm not going to give your age away I'm not going <laughs> to give my age away but back then Golf wasn't quite as cool as it is now. 
who was it when you got into Major League Baseball that got you to continue playing golf? Yeah, I really didn't start playing golf seriously until I started playing with the Texas Rangers in uh, 2003 because I finally had money to, to get good clubs and play at nice courses. <laughs> Funny how that works, right? Funny yeah, how that so I, works. Went to, I went to Georgia Tech, which uh, obviously has a great golf uh, pedigree. A lot of my good buddies played professional or are, are still playing professional golf. Matt Kuchar, Bryce Mulder, uh, Troy Madison, Matt Weibring, um, a lot of guys that played on the PGA Tour and, and Web.com Tour and what have you. So in college, they would take me out, and I, would, I got my first taste of nice courses at like East Lake and Atlanta Athletic Club and Golf Club of Georgia and those kind of places. So I had this kind of bright idea, you know, when I have some money in my pocket, I'm going to join a nice course and, and actually start playing golf. So it really, I really started playing golf consistently probably about 2003, which was my rookie year with the, in the big leagues. Who was the best in your crew like growing up when you were at Georgia Tech? Man, you know what? Every, Bryce Mulder and Matt Kuchar were like, you know, one and one A, right? And there was always this debate who was going to be better. I think um, everyone talked about Cooch being the more consistent guy, but Bryce being the one that could go out there and shoot 62 on you. And I think that's what we saw in their pro careers, right? I mean, you know, they both have had great pro careers. Bryce just recently retired um, after a, after a nice run on the PGA Tour. But Cooch is still doing it, man. He's still just that consistent guy who is going to be in the top ten every single tournament you, you turn on the TV. He's in there. And, uh, you know, over the years, he obviously uh, turned out to be uh, the more consistent and better golfer. But, man, when we were in college, they were both studs. Wait, how did you play with two future pros and feel adequate about your game? <laughs> oh, I did not feel adequate. I still don't feel adequate. I mean, I'm a, I'm a five – Point seven index right now, and every time I go play with with pro golfers, I feel like I don't even belong. But but we have fun. That's the cool thing about golf, man. It's like you know you throw out a few birdies, you have a couple of good holes, and um, as long as you're, you're you don't drag your partner down, you feel like you can uh, you know you can be a good good partner for him in uh, in the end. Hold up, man! You are five point five. <laughs> that means you have to play with pro golfers to feel inadequate, because any other chumps that want to go out there like a twelve, fourteen handicap are going to just be mad playing golf with you. Well, that was me up until literally the day that I retired. My handicap was like a twelve three, and within six months of being retired and starting to play consistent golf. And getting a, that bad golf swing out of my system from from baseball, I went from a you know twelve something to a probably about a six or seven within six months, and now I'm just chipping away at it. So then I want to know how impressed were you at what Steph Curry did that first time that he teed it up in a Web.com tour event and shot like seventy four seventy four. I'm completely impressed because. I know how hard it is to to putt on those on those greens to to hit from that rough. I'd follow some of my buddies, some of my my friends that played. It started in the uh, the U.S. Amateur in 2001 was at East Lake in Atlanta. So when I was in college, I went and followed some of my buddies. And I'm walking through that grass. I can't see my feet. Like <laughs> I I can't believe how hard these guys have it on tour. So so when I go play a nice course. You know, and it might be a, a course that they, they play professional tournaments on. 
you know, the, the rough's cut down and the greens are nice and slow. And I go out there and I say, oh, I just shot 82 on, a, you know, Shinnecock. That's a U.S. Open course. Man, when they get those things ready for the tournaments, it is a completely different ball game. So I have a ton, a ton of respect for Steph and those guys that, that don't play pro golf but can actually, you know, hit it around a little bit in tournaments. You know, you said something a second I want to go back to. You said once you retired – you got out of that bad golf swing and were able to get your index down about seven points. What was what was the big thing that you worked on to really just improve your game? How did you get out of that swing? Okay, so there were two main things that, that everybody has been asking me uh, since I since I stopped playing baseball. They're like, man, your your golf game's gotten better. So the first thing is in baseball, I was a back leg hitter. I mean, most power hitters are back leg hitters. They kind of drop that back shoulder. We want to get you know create some angle, some loft on the ball. And, and just spin at the plate, hit that ball over the fence. Well, when you st- stay on your backside in the golf swing, as you guys know, it's the worst thing for you. So I had the high rights, and then when I try to get quick, and, and <laughs> I had the, the hooks left. Yeah. <laughs> so getting off of my backside was number one. And number two, actually keeping the club face closed throughout my entire backswing and then coming down through the ball. Because in baseball – you're, you know, if, if you guys can think about how you hit a baseball, that top hand is actually way open when you, when you come through a swing. So in a golf swing, my, my club face would be open the whole way, and then I just have to flip it at the very end to, to create that timing. And if, if my timing was perfect, you know, I, I could have a good round. Yeah. But if my timing was off a little bit, man, I'm hitting hosel rockets, I'm, <laughs> I'm chunking balls. And, and you know, getting that club face in the right angle was a huge thing for me. So are you playing with? So are you playing with the shut face? Are, first of all, because you you were a switch hitter in, in baseball, yeah. Yes. So what do you what do you play golf? All righty. Okay. I've never even tried to swing a club left handed. All right. So are you playing with a shut face then? Now with with you were just saying you keeping your face closed. Is that how you're playing with your golf swing? Yes. Yes. So so I have a I have a very simple golf swing now. I'm taking lessons from. Uh, from a really good uh, teacher, Carl Alexander, at Golf Club of Purchase here close to my home. And, uh, you know, we're working on just, kind of, you know, being very simple. I don't have to create a bunch of club head speed because I already have it. So if you look at me, you're like, oh, he's not even swinging the club hard. Well, if I really try to swing the club hard, you know, the ball could go really far and, you know, I don't really need that. So I can, I can hit the ball a long way just having a simple, uh, compact swing, which is what I'm working on right now. This is so messed up. And you, you notice how Tex was talking about how, oh, I hosel rocket this and it goes all over the place that. But before that, he goes, you know, I was a 12.2 handicap before. Anyway, you've gotten the number wrong every time, which means you're not <laughs> listening. Enough, but go ahead. I'm saying 12 point. All I'm saying is, look, if you're a handicap of a 12 whatever, you're not hosel rocketing and toe shanking nothing. You know, and Every now I just and then. I got the same well, problem with the reverse. Like I cannot. I was the same playing baseball off that back leg. I'm a lefty, so for me, I fall away off my left on my left side. How did how do you get to your? How did you break that habit? Because I cannot break that habit. And dude, have you looked at your Wikipedia page? It's like thirty minutes long. <laughs> I haven't looked at it recently because sometimes you can't trust what's on there. But hopefully, it's all correct. Um, so for, you know, for getting to my front side, it took me. I mean, I've been I've been retired now for two years, 
it took me about a year to really be cons- to stay consistently on my front side and get into that front side. I basically did like a um, – I kind of just kept all my weight on my left side in practice, and I didn't, I didn't have any type of weight shift at all. And that just buried that, those thoughts and those mechanics and that muscle memory into my body. So I'd go bang balls for an hour at the range without ever really putting any weight on my right side, and that helped a lot. Man, I, I, I feel like Collins and I are both taking notes. I'm the king, of the, I'm the king of the sway. I sway so badly, and then I'm the same way. You never it just it feels weird when you're trying to explode onto that left side because you're right. It's almost natural to kind of stay back and hit it. And I know everybody listening to the podcast is like, "Me too, me too." But <laughs> when you get, you know, what's funny? We, we do these interviews with with former Major League Baseball players quite a bit, and they all say the same thing. When you guys would go for a long road trip, there'd be as many golf bags in the team charters there would baseball bags. <laughs> Yeah, and especially from the pitchers, man. These pitch, these starting pitchers, <laughs> these guys work once a week. They get paid tens of millions of dollars to pitch once a week and play golf the rest of the time. No wonder they're so much better than us, you know, position players that grind it out 162. But I, I used to, man, I used to be so mad because, you know, especially when I was with the Braves, I played on the Braves in 2007, 2008, and you know, Glavin and and Smoltz were on the team. Maddox had had since uh, left for the Cubs, but. Those guys would play golf, and they'd play with like Tiger. Like they, oh, we're we're down in Florida for spring training. Oh, what are you guys doing today? Oh, I'm going to play with Tiger. I'm like, man, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to Fort Myers for a game. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to always be jealous of those guys. So who in the clubhouse, like in your baseball career, and we know Glavin and Smoltz and those guys are are, are pretty golf addicted, but who was? Who was the guy or two in in your career that you just wanted to pummel on the golf course? Yeah, so the guys that are the most serious about golf that I that I I played with them this past November in Atlanta. They all live in Atlanta. They play golf together a few times a week. So Jeff Francoeur, Brian McCann, and Mark DeRosa. And McCann's the only one that's still playing. He happens to be my stepbrother. Uh, but those guys take every single swing or putt or you know whatever it might be like it's game seven of the world series (laughs) i'm just gonna like i like to have a few cocktails on the course have a good time i mean i want to put up a good score these guys are grinding out there and so it makes me want to beat them a little bit more and which one of them talks the most smack though Ooh, i'd probably say frank core because he's He's the best. I mean, Frank, Jeff Francoeur is really good at golf. And, I mean, he think he's, he's probably like a two or three handicap. I'm not sure officially what he is. But, I mean, he crushes it. Uh, he's got some really good feel around the greens. And uh, he loves the game. But he, man, he talks the entire round. And it's, sometimes it's fun. If, if you're his partner, it's fun. If you're not, you know, it can be rough. Especially if he's up on you a hole or two. That would be, yeah. I get on your skin. Then you, you got to remember. Oh yeah, we got to be friends when this is over. Oh I yeah, keep forgetting. Spring training a couple years ago, Smoltz took on me, Glavin, and Frank Core. One, you know, three balls versus one, straight up, and and smoked us. I mean, Smoltz <laughs> be, and Frenchie could not. Frank Core could not handle it because you know we had three cracks at him, and and Smoltz, he still beat us. How yeah, does see? that get like? Because you guys are competitive. <laughs> You're pro athletes by nature. How? How rough can it get on a course where you guys, if someone were to have cameras on you, you'd think it's the Ryder Cup? 
Well, that's why I drink on the course sometimes. <laughs> I am a competitor. I still want I am a I'm kind of a quiet competitive golfer. Like I might have a big smile on my face if I lose and like, oh you know, after the round you take your hat off and you're shaking everybody's hands on eighteen and I'm like, Oh, this was so much fun but I'm like, damn, I shouldn't have missed that putt on sixteen. You know, like I wanna win and I keep it quiet. Some guys can't keep it quiet. I mean you see guys throwing clubs you see guys, you know, throwing f bombs, but I'd like to think that most of the rounds I play are at distinguished enough clubs or courses that that stuff is frowned upon. Well, see, that's why after you do that, you're like, oh, hey, great round. That was that was a lot of fun. It's, yeah, we'll we'll do it again real soon. And you're like, hey, man, uh, Tex ain't called me in like four days. Or so <laughs> I think he's still pissed that that I beat him and was talking smack on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's how you know those fun guys. My question, what I was going to ask you before, what I'm curious about, because you said you're only two years removed from playing. I'm curious about as great as it is to golf. What was like? What's the hardest thing about having to walk away? You know what I mean? Like you know you're going to get to golf, and but but like when you got to say, hey man, I'm done. I'm always curious, like what what was the hardest part of having to walk away? You know what I. I, I don't have many regrets, so I, I think I, I hung it up at the right time. My body was, was telling me that it was time to go. But every now and then over the last two years, I'll be watching a game, and I'll be like, man, I feel pretty good. You know, my <laughs> knees aren't hurting anymore. My neck's not killing me. You know, my wrists aren't sore right now. I might go out there. I might be able to, to, to hit a couple homers tonight. And so there's just that little piece of you that when you're feeling good, on the couch, of course, when you're <laughs> feeling good, you feel, I feel like I could still play. But overall, I mean, listen, if I play 36 holes, I can't, I can't walk the next day because, <laughs> because my back and my <laughs> knees are, are so sore. But that's, uh, that's life, man. I think every baseball player, every athlete, when they hang it up, there's always a, a time here and there for the first few years where they're like, man, I could, st- I could still do it. I could still do it. But the fact is, I couldn't. <laughs> How many uh, how many tournaments like celebrity tournaments or pro ams have you played in? Not a ton, actually. I've, I've played in a lot more charity stuff. I've, yeah. I've never done one of those official like celebrity pro am type stuff. I've been asked to do a few during my career, but I just never had the the time in the off seasons. Um, just because you know I got kids and you know busy and workouts and that kind of stuff. But I would like to start that circuit if. Uh, if anybody will have me, so you know, tell, tell all your buddies if they, I, if they want a a five five plus handicap that can throw a few birdies every now and then, then I'm ready for them. So, have you ever found yourself in, in a charity event or just some tournament that you've played in in a, in a just a really awkward golf situation? What's your best story from from one of these tournaments that you've been in? Oh my gosh, I had I was playing in one not long ago. Um, and the dude I was playing with, he got so drunk, and I, I never met the guy, never met the guy at all. He got so drunk, he wrecked the cart on, what hole was this, on 15. So he didn't even make it, he didn't even make it the whole round. So we were on our 15th hole, he wrecks the cart, and we're like, hey man, you should probably call the, like the pro shop or somebody. He gets out of the cart and just, cart and just walks back to the pro shop. Didn't call anybody, didn't. So, like, I'm driving around, and I get done, and, and the people, you know, they're taking your bags. They're like, oh, Mr. Teixeira, how's the round, and this and that. And, like, you know, we're doing it for the kids, right, raising money for, like, sick kids and stuff. And I'm like, hey, man, there's a, 
there's a cart uh, banged up against a tree on 15. You might want to get that. <laughs> that was the most embarrassing thing that I've ever seen. That was only a couple months ago, actually. That's the best thing. He just leaves his stuff there. I'm out. He just, he just walked off the I'm court. Good. <laughs> I'm good. All right, best score ever. 74. Uh, where was it? It was this. It was this spring at Baker's Bay. I got a place at Baker's Bay uh, in the Bahamas. It's my happy, happy place. I live in Connecticut, you know, so it's cold here in the winters. Um, so I go there a bunch in the winter time, and it was just one of those mornings. It was a beautiful morning, no wind. That's kind of what keeps the uh, your scores up in the Bahamas is when you get those windy days off the ocean. But just had it that day, man. I chipped in on uh, chipped in on sixteen from about ninety feet for eagle. That solidified the uh, best round of my life. I shot 71 at the Atlantis at uh, Ocean Club when it was blowing 30. Come on. It's the only – I've only broken par three times, all three times, 71. But the Atlantis is the one I'm most proud of because it was in that Bahamas wind. Yeah, the wind must have been at your back then. Whatever. (laughs) When you know, I'm short, and, I'm short and fat, so it just doesn't move me much. That doesn't affect my swing. <laughs> so well, you- playing in the wind, I played at Shinnecock a few, a few months ago. Uh, it was a beautiful day, but it was windy. And after the round, I felt like I had gone like 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. I, mean, I right? got, It just beat me up. That, that's what the wind does to you, man. Mentally, it just completely beats you up because every single swing, you're always worried about, well, if the wind takes it, it's going to go there, and then – you know, the ball hits the green, and you're like, oh, is it going to hold? And, man, the wind just messes with my mind. So if Mark Teixeira is player one in your dream foursome, who fills out the other three spots? Oh, man. Alive or dead? Either okay, way. Okay, so, and and if and if they're dead, let's assume that they were at their peak. Yes, we'll yep. get them at their peak, yep. Okay. okay. Uh, Bobby Jones. Um. Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods. Man, you would learn so much. Right? You'd have to play from up. You'd have to play up a box though. Oh man. Bobby Jones is is uh is special to me because of his, you know, I got I got Atlanta roots at Georgia Tech. He's a Georgia Tech guy. Um I've been able to been lucky enough to play Augusta and Peachtree Golf Club, two of his two of his masterpieces and uh man, he's just he's a stud. I was just going to ask so the nicest golf course that you've ever played, and you've already played Augusta, and then what golf course is on your bucket list? Ooh, that's a good one, too. Okay, so I would say, I mean, Augusta is, is my favorite course I've played. I've, I've been lucky enough to play three times. But although Peachtree Golf Club, man, is a close second. That is like a hidden gem in the list of, uh, of like, U.S. top 50. Peachtree's up there. Mm-hmm. I would say um, I want to play Cyprus because I've heard nothing but amazing things about it. I've played Pebble Beach, but I've never played Cyprus, so I think that one's on my bucket list. I like it because I've never played Cyprus either, and I've only ever seen it. And I've played both Augusta and Peachtree as well. And I, you know what? There's not many people that talk about Peachtree because it's one of those courses that a lot of people don't they don't play because they don't know it. Yep. It's 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 a hidden gem and and uh, people in Atlanta want to keep it that way so don't tell anybody. <laughs> we won't. We'll we'll keep this one down. Hey, and, and what you know? Because we all have one when we're, when we're playing golf with with the stranger, and I don't know that how much you you get into that situation. But what's one of your pet peeves when playing with someone that, that just drives you nuts? Ooh, um, 
I don't like guys that talk a lot right right before you swing. Like, there's a lot of guys that'll talk, 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 and then like as soon as you're about to like take the backswing, they think that they're being like all like full etiquette and like then be quiet. I mean, I want to lock into to my pre-shot routine. I actually have a process that I go through and get set up. And, like, I'm, I'm gripping the club and getting my feet set, and this guy still tells me a story about how when he was in high school he had a home run. I'm like, dude, <laughs> stop it. And, and, I, so, and I get that all the time, guys that are putting. I'm lining up my putt with my caddy sometimes, and a guy's still telling a story. I'm like, dude. So I would say number one is guys that talk way too much right before you're about to hit the ball. I'm all for socializing in between shots. That's why I like walking courses because, you know, you get that, that social time. But, man, let me, get, let me go through my pre-shot routine a little bit. Yeah, my, 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 my ears went up at that moment. Give me what Because you said you've got a pre-shot routine. What is it? Walk us through it. So, uh, I mean, for, for, it's different for putts, but let's just talk about, like, a tee shot. Um, so I, I pick a spot on the course, whether it's, like, a tree in the distance whether it's a, a corner of a bunker or even like I can pick like a leaf or something that I see on the fairway, I will pick uh, that spot and uh, from behind the ball, get up, put my, uh, get my grip from, uh, from behind the ball as well, set up to the shot, and then, I, and then I like look over my left shoulder, and a lot of people tell me I shouldn't do this because they're like, hey, if you're already set up fine, you shouldn't have to double check, but I look over my left shoulder and look at that spot, and make sure that I'm that I'm set, and then I go after it. But it, to me, it's all about keeping it simple and creating that kind of visual of, all right, this is where I want to hit the ball. I think it's probably because of uh, you know, all those years of playing baseball. I always yep. had that visual of the of the pitcher and the ball, and I always that's all I focused on when I played baseball was see the ball, hit the ball. And so when I play golf, it's all about okay, that's the spot that I want to hit it. You know, set up properly and get and hit it there. It sounds like every – I love the pre-shot routine, and that last look that you do, that's the remnants of baseball. That's just a baseball remnant. But it sounds like your routine is pretty fast. You're a fast player too, it sounds like. I, I do love I like to play fast. And the reason I like to play fast is because i got three kids. i got a 12, 11, and 8-year-old. And, I mean, every minute – unless I'm on vacation, you know, a guy's trip or whatever, I do a couple of those a year. Every minute that I'm on the golf course is, is one less minute that I can't be with my kids. So – I try to play quickly and, and uh, you know, get it over with. Well, see, the beauty of having daddy daycare now that you're retired is drop the kids off at school. And you know exactly what time they're done. Bang. This is how long I got at the golf course. And you're right. right. And you know what? I play a lot more golf when the kids are in school. They're in the yeah. summertime. The summertime, they're like, when are you going to be home, Dad? When are you going to be home, Dad? Now, the good <laughs> thing is, is my youngest, my 8-year-old, loves golf. And so uh, yes. he'll play like we played 18 holes on Friday. He shot a legit 121, every ball in the hole from the women's tees, had what? a natural par on number 12. It was it was beautiful. So I, I really enjoyed that. So now we know 10 years from now, it'll be, uh, yes, that's Mr. Teixeira outside the ropes there going absolutely crazy, screaming at people. <laughs> I would, I would, I would <laughs> love to see to see my eight-year-old man play, be a golfer. That'd be cool. Hey, Mark, we, uh, we appreciate you making some time for us today. So what we'll do for our foursome, we'll invite Ornstein, but he's not allowed to play. He has to pay for all three of us. He can I caddy. love that idea. That is perfect. All right, good. So we we'll all make we, him caddy. We all share these same agents. We're gonna make we're gonna make Jim Ornstein agent to the stars, pay and then carry all three of our clubs. 
Love that. That's a good plan. Hey, enjoy. I know we're getting into the the middle of the ALCS, NLCS, the World Series. You're our colleague here at ESPN. Uh, so we know you're going to be busy as always, but we appreciate you hopping on to talk some golf with us. Thanks a lot, guys. Anytime. Yeah, thanks, Mark. We'll talk to you soon. Love having our guests on because they all come from different walks of life and, and how much they love golf to share. It was great. Uh, we appreciated his time today. Uh, let's end with this, Caddy. You you came on before we started rolling the podcast. You had news on Tiger and Phil and their Thanksgiving weekend showdown. What do you have? Guess who can go watch? Who? Nobody. Why? It's not open to the public. And you know how they say, yeah, when the lights come on, well, they're not going to be playing under the lights. So when there. They, when are they playing? I don't know. Sunsets at 428. So it's going to be in the daytime because they are not playing under the lights at Shadow Creek. And it's just those two in the camera crews. There's no patrons uh, the, allowed. The, the public is not going to be allowed there. Now, it, Shadow Creek is, I guess, owned by MGM. That's right. So there might be, like, some high-rolling ballers or something there. Um, maybe a couple of VIPs and stuff. But apparently the report that I read, which was – um, from the Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, Brian Hurlbert. Uh, he is reporting the November 23rd at Shadow Creek will not have any tickets available to the public, unquote. Interesting. Now, sources telling him, uh, said there might be a small gathering of sponsors and VIPs. How do we means, get on that list? Can Maddie so and the get on that a, list? You know what? How much of that nine million are we putting up? None. Yeah, so we ain't going. <laughs> so, and let me ask you something. What? Like when it's something like that, <clears throat> that's on pay per view, that they ain't playing for their own money. Do you want to go? Uh yes. Why? Because the night before, I could go out, gamble, and do stupid stuff. Okay, so wake up and go see golf, and then go back and gamble, drink, and do stupid stuff. It's Vegas. What do you mean? Do I want to go? Okay, so let's be honest on how it would really go down. The excuse would be to go out there for the event, and what would happen was the drinking and the gambling would happen, and then it would be time to go to bed and be like, "Hold up, man, I'm on a roll. Let's just chill for a minute." And the drinks are free. And then there'd be a time to be like, well, you know what? If, as long as I catch a nap, I'll be good to go and can go out and I'll walk all of this out of my system because it's the desert. So you won't even smell it coming off the sweat. Right? I, yeah. And then that will turn into, you know what? I, I don't really need to go. I'll catch some sleep a little bit later. And so what is going begins to go out there like, hey, I'm going to go out there and watch this event turns into – Hey man, how was the golf? They, they play golf. I don't. I don't remember. I just woke up. I was on the plane. I don't feel too good. <laughs> Actually, I don't even know why I'm Where's having this conversation money? with you anyway. Because when we were in a situation where there were free booze, gambling tables, and golf, you went to bed. So you know, I was you're on not, an hour and a half you're sleep. Not, what do you? You think you go to Vegas to rejuvenate? <laughs> Yes, but you don't get there on an hour and a half sleep. Like, you need to get there with the batteries fully charged. You're soft. You know what I mean? I'm not soft. soft. I'm smart. (laughs) I was going to say I'm trying to stay healthy, but I say that as I'm hacking up a lung from fighting this cold. Which you've had since August. It's Paris. You know what? I caught this on the way back from Paris. Because one thing I did realize, as much as I love Paris, the one thing that I did notice – over there that is different from over here 
everyone over there in the food industry, no one really washes their hands or wears gloves. It's good for the immune system. Yeah, so I think the other reason why they're skinnier and live longer is because they have some bugs in their system (laughs) that flush their system out. And if you don't have those bugs in your system, once you get a couple in there, your system is like, oh, we fighting now. Yeah, we're going. Like, we're going to go toe-to-toe. Yeah, you need to go toe-to-toe for a little bit. Yeah. So the United States is just one big constipated country while Europe's just free-flowing. That's yeah, that's what I mean. Like we are this is why cheese backs us up. You will never hear about you never hear about the French that eat less cheese. You will be less Nope, they're good. They are good. Oh, looky there. We're on the eighteenth hole. We gotta go. Uh, we appreciate the hey, uh, No, but I wanna I wanna ask you, man, for real. Man, I gotta go do Sports Center. Hurry up. I know, but look, we ain't going to this Shadow Creek thing. No, we're gonna we, go. We're going. You think so? No. If they invite us, if they invite us, you want to go? Yes. You do? Yes. All right. But look, if we go, how about this then? If they invite us and we go, no gambling oh. while we're at- Okay. Yeah, that I'm going to agree to that. Okay. See? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying. Okay, you know what? Okay, I will agree to the no gambling, but we still get to drink. Okay, cool. Deal. All right. All right, deal. Deal is accepted. All right. If they invite us, they ain't inviting us. We'll do it. Can we do a podcast from there? Well, see, that's the thing. Not from if the course, is... from Vegas, like somewhere in oh, Vegas. Oh, dude, that's happening. I, we don't need a golf tournament for that. Right. Let's just schedule it and go do that. I would rather do that than go out there and have to watch two knuckleheads get mic'd up for pay-per-view and – like talk PC smack. You know, I still haven't been reimbursed for Tahoe, so I'm a little lenient to just go on my own dime to Vegas for a podcast. I know I, I'm lazy with PayPal because I don't <laughs> do that, and I don't. I always I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. How my about bad. my reimbursement hinges on Collins? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Did you not get a nice shirt and a hat, though? I did. Like, Caddy, Caddy Claus came up big. I got a Carnoustie right. shirt and a Team USA Ryder Cup hat. Took a while. This tell you, I'm trying to. If you could only like look around, look at a pile of clothes. Look at that. He we're facetiming during this. That's, that is clean that's clothes. Like I'm trying to get small. Look, that's laundry. Coming back from Paris, I had 52 pounds worth of laundry. Oh God. 52 pounds. Well, here's what we're going to do. I've got to go do Sports Center. By the looks of this FaceTime, you've got to go get your life in order. Um, <laughs> we appreciate organize. We appreciate the download, subscription, and listen. Please listen and rate. Hit us up on social media, at Maddie and Caddy. Our thanks to Mark Teixeira uh, for making time for us. And we're, we're going to clean ourselves up uh, physically and, and <laughs> hypothetically and, and all Speak the literally yourself. and figuratively. Six, um, what's six and a half hours flight from my house? <laughs> <laughs> time to flight aware stuff. Uh, for the caddy. Bye and Maddie. Appreciate you listening to another episode of Maddie and the Caddy. Thanks for listening to Maddie and the Caddy. Check out more great ESPN podcasts in the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Maddie and the Caddy.